Hi, my name is Kirsten, and it's so good to be with you today. I'm one of the pastors here at Living Waters, and hey, if we haven't had the chance to meet, I hope we get to do that sometime in the coming weeks and months. Let me start with a story. In 1979, I was six. I'll let you do the math. And that summer, my parents, brothers, and I got to spend a whole week in a friend's beach cabin. It was right along the Oregon coast, and it was one of those amazing places where the only thing between you and the surf was a small dune of beach grass. You could hear the crash of the surf everywhere in the house. My favorite memory from this trip, and it's one of my favorites from my childhood, is of my dad and I holding hands and jumping waves. The water was cold, and the waves soared high above our heads, especially mine. But my dad and I weren't scared at all. We laughed again and again as the waves lifted us, tumbled us, flooded our noses, and sucked at our numb toes. It was wild, but my dad held tightly to my hand the whole time, and I wasn't afraid because I was with him. What makes this memory so special is my dad. The joy of wildness experienced together, the intimacy of thoroughly delighting in each other's company. In this moment, everything was right about my relationship with my dad. It was a moment of fully trusting in his strength and in his love. This month, we're talking about praying with Jesus. And our launching off point is the Lord's Prayer, the prayer that Jesus gave his disciples when they asked him how to pray. You can find it both in Luke 11 and Matthew 6. Luke last week gave us such a clear and thorough introduction to the Lord's Prayer. If you haven't had the chance to give it a listen, you might want to do so, especially if this prayer is a bit new to you. One thing Luke talked about is how prayer can be a mashup of different experiences for us, some life-giving and others challenging. I think he's right. Few of us feel fully satisfied by or confident about our prayer life. When I used to mentor university students, I learned the hard way that one of the most guilt-inspiring questions to ask someone is, how is your prayer life? Much better to ask them to simply describe their experience of talking to God. Then maybe I would learn a bit more about what was happening in their times with Jesus, what they feared, what they felt guilty about, what they longed for. Because I think we're all longing to connect with Jesus, to experience prayer, not just as a list or as something we must do, but as love, a moment of being seen, of being cared for and known and delighted in by our Father, and of loving Him in return. And maybe that's why I think about that memory with my earthly dad on the beach as a young girl, because I think I'm longing for something a bit like that when I pray. And I think our Heavenly Father is longing for that too. The most helpful book I have ever read on prayer is by a guy named Richard Foster, and it's entitled Prayer. You can find the reference to it in the sermon notes, which you can find on the website. He begins his book by saying this, 
Today, the heart of God is an open wound of love. He aches over our distance and preoccupation. He mourns that we do not draw near to him. He grieves that we have forgotten him. He weeps over our obsession with muchness and manyness. He longs for our presence. And he is inviting you and me to come home, to come to where we belong, to come home to that for which we were created. His arms are stretched out wide to receive us. His heart is enlarged to take us in. We do not need to be shy. He invites us into the living room of his heart where we can put on old slippers and share freely. He invites us into the dining room of his strength where we can feast to our heart's delight. He invites us into the study of his wisdom where we can learn and grow and stretch and ask all the questions we want. He invites us into the workshop of his creativity, where we can be co-laborers with him, working together to determine the outcomes of events. He invites us into the bedroom of his rest, where new peace is found and where we can be naked and vulnerable and free. The place of deepest intimacy, where we know and are known to the fullest. This is the heart of the Father towards us. So let's talk about prayer. First thing that I want to point out is that Jesus himself modeled a life of prayer. This is something so obvious that it's easy to miss the significance of it. Jesus prayed as a regular part of life. He withdrew early in the morning to pray. He prayed all night before selecting his disciples. Regularly, he withdrew from crowds and even from his close friends to pray. Luke 5.16 tells us that Jesus often withdrew to the wilderness for prayer. The fact that Jesus is God among us can make it easy to think of him as a kind of superhero, a pillar of independent strength walking around the Sea of Galilee or on it in some instances, demonstrating his power by calming storms and casting out demons. And these are indeed demonstrations of his power, Jesus doing what only God can do. But at the very core of Jesus' ministry, we find a man on his knees, praying, drawing strength and direction from his Father. If anyone would have had the strength to make it through life without praying, wouldn't it have been Jesus? And yet, if you've read the Gospels, you know that's not the Jesus we encounter. Instead, we discover that the entire fabric of his life is one of dependence, to the point where Jesus himself says in John 5, I tell you the truth, the Son can do nothing by himself. He does only what he sees the Father doing. Whatever the Father does, the Son also does. Over and over again, Jesus explains that he and the Father are one and that he is completely dependent on the Father. So at the core of Jesus' ministry, 
we find a relationship. Jesus' intimate and dependent relationship with his Father. You could say that we learn the most about our triune God, three persons yet one, through watching Jesus on earth talking to his dad. The question I find I ask myself when I think about this is, if Jesus, the God of the universe, lived his earthly life through dependent prayer, how do I possibly think I can live my life in my own strength? And yet so often I find that's exactly what I'm trying to do. Maybe the disciples felt the same way. Maybe they asked this same question. And perhaps this is why one day, after Jesus finishes his prayer time, one of them asks, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. Now, Jesus' disciples were Jews, so they would have had their own life of prayer. They would have at least prayed at the three set prayer times that Jews always did. Morning prayer at sunrise, afternoon prayer at the time of the evening sacrifice in the temple, which was around 3 p.m., and evening prayer at nightfall. Both Jesus and his disciples would have followed these rhythms, habits as ingrained as morning coffee or evening toothbrushing. But I think the disciples must have seen something more in the prayer life of Jesus, something they wanted. And Jesus is more than happy to invite them to the table, almost as if he's been waiting to be asked. I want to talk for a minute before we get into the prayer itself about Jesus' initial comments when he shares the Lord's Prayer in the book of Matthew. In that version, before Jesus tells his disciples how to pray, he tells them how not to pray through giving two don't-be-like-these-guys examples. And I think they're helpful because they highlight two ways that we as human beings can tend to miss the point of prayer. Jesus tells them, when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites who love to pray publicly on street corners and in the synagogues where everyone can see them. I tell you the truth, that is all the reward they will ever get. But when you pray, go away by yourself, shut the door behind you, and pray to your Father in private. Then your Father, who sees everything, will reward you. When you pray, don't babble on and on as the Gentiles do. They think their prayers are answered merely by repeating their words again and again. Don't be like them, for your Father knows exactly what you need, even before you ask Him. The first picture that Jesus gives here is of a Jew praying to show off their devotion to God, their goodness. Jesus describes the people who pray like this as hypocrites because no real prayer is actually happening here. There's no relationship with the Father. Prayer is instead being turned into a performance. The second picture is of a non-Jew or a Gentile saying the same words again and again. The point of this example might initially be lost on us because of our 21st century perspective. Jesus is referring to what prayer often looked like across religions in the ancient world. 
Biblical scholar Tom Wrights tell us that many non-Jews did indeed use multiple formulae in their prayers. Long, complicated magic words, which they would repeat over and over in their anxiety to persuade some god or goddess to be favorable to them. Such prayers are often marked by a note of uncertainty. There were many divinities in the ancient world, and nobody quite knew which one might need pacifying next or with what formula. The most helpful word I find in um, Wright's description is magic. Magic is the control and use of spiritual power. Now, none of us are walking around thinking that magic in the sense of either occult or fantasy, is prayer. But I find I can still run into the mistake of trying to control God and get what I want from Him, rather than coming to Him in dependent trust. What I'm talking about here is those moments when I desperately want the Lord to answer a prayer in a particular way. I can fall into thinking that if I just prayed the right way, my prayer would be answered. Or I find I wonder if I'm getting prayer wrong. Maybe I did it the, maybe if I did it the right way, if I used the right words, if I did it long enough, I'd hear God's voice or he'd give me what I wanted. I remember going on a prayer retreat many years ago. The retreat was a final step in a discernment process about a new job. And I was coming to hear from the Lord and I was having a hard time. I was doing everything I could to hear the voice of God, and I was running out of time, and I was getting increasingly frustrated. And so I felt like I was having a little temper tantrum with God. And in the midst of it, I felt like the Lord did talk to me. And what he said was, you can't make me do what you want. I realized that I had been trying to make God talk to me in the way I thought he should. Only after that very humbling moment was I able to actually hear the voice of God in the way he wanted to speak to me. We can't control God through our prayers, and we don't need to perform for him either. I doubt that any of us are standing on the street corner yelling out our prayers. It wouldn't do much for our reputation these days anyway, would it? But I still find it immensely helpful to remember that prayer is not performance, mainly because it's so easy for me to find myself performing for God rather than relating to Him. One example comes out of the Lord's Prayer. I have spoken with lots of people who wrestle with the line in the Lord's Prayer that says, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. People struggle with this line because they know they're not there yet. They're still wrestling with anger and unforgiveness towards a person. And they're afraid that because of where they're at, they can't be forgiven by Jesus. The assumption behind this struggle is usually that they have to figure out how to forgive first before they can come into the presence of God. They have to perform to demonstrate in God's presence their capacity to be forgiving, as if a forgiving heart were the ticket for admission. Jesus 
is just too much of a realist to expect this of us. In fact, it's in his presence that the real transformation of our hearts, the releasing of our hurts, and the healing that we need can be done. Jesus doesn't ask us to demonstrate for him a forgiving heart. He asks us to bring him our bitter, broken, stony hearts, so that through the work of his Spirit, they may be remade into hearts of flesh. He doesn't ask for our performance. He asks for our authentic selves. So prayer is not a performance for God. And prayer is not trying to get what we want from God. Prayer is entering into a dependent relationship with Jesus, that same kind of relationship that Jesus had with the Father. And you could say that the Lord's Prayer is a kind of roadmap into this kind of prayer life with Jesus. There's so much more that could be said here, but I just wanna share a few things that I find when I pray the Lord's Prayer. Uh, the Lord's Prayer reminds me of who God is and of who I am. I'm the mom of three kids, and over the years I've found that it's very difficult to relate with a child who is trying to act like the parent. Sometimes I think God might feel that way about me. Praying the Lord's Prayer reminds me of who God is. It's an act of remembering that He is God and I am not. He is the one who is holy. He is the one whose kingdom is transforming the world. He is the one with the capacity to heal, to save, to forgive. He is the Savior of the world. And I am not the Savior of the world. I am the child, bringing my needs directly to Him, being honest about my shortcomings and asking for wisdom, for help, for daily bread. I am the child who doesn't see the whole picture and who needs to trust that the Father does. It sounds counterintuitive to everything we hear in our world, our world that never wants to bow to anything. But it is incredibly refreshing to come under the authority of our loving God and to simply be his kid. How else, after all, can I have the freedom of a child? I can only experience the freedom and peace of trust if I acknowledge that God is God. The Lord's Prayer draws me into that kind of place, a place of dependent trust. And in the Lord's Prayer, God shares his heart with me. Our eight-year-old son is usually a pretty quiet kid, but some nights he gets out of bed and comes to talk with us in the living room. We often don't want to send him back to bed because it's in these conversations that we get a rare glimpse into his heart. This prayer gives us a glimpse into the heart of Jesus what he wants us to care about along with him. He teaches me to care about the reputation of the Father. Your name be kept holy, Jesus prays. As I pray this, I grow in my love for the Father and my cherishing of his holiness, his goodness. 
and I grow in my protectiveness of God's reputation, that his goodness would be seen, that people would not have a distorted but a clear picture of who God is. He teaches me to care about the furthering of God's purposes in the world. May your kingdom come soon, Jesus calls us to pray. The Lord's Prayer deepens my love for Jesus' work in the world. The more I pray the Lord's Prayer, the more excited I get about the reality that Jesus is at work in the world. Especially on days when reading the news seems hopeless, I feel a bit like I have a secret hope. Jesus has not abandoned our world, but is at work in it through you and through me in all sorts of ways. Praying the Lord's Prayer leads me to place my hope not in the kingdoms of this world, but the kingdom of God. And I discover that my needs are also a part of Jesus' heart. My very practical needs for food and money for the car to be repaired, and my equally real needs for grace. We discover that there is space for our needs in the heart of God. And there is space for our relational needs for restoration with one another and for protection in our lives from evil. All these things are present and matter to the heart of God. And maybe through coming to understand the heart of God, we come to more fully understand who we are and what we need. What I come to understand most fully through the Lord's Prayer is that Jesus is calling me to move deeper into a life dependent on Him. We are not naturally dependent creatures. It goes against the grain for us to live this kind of dependent life. When we pray the Lord's Prayer, Luke reminded us last week, we are safe, but we are not always comfortable. Change seldom is, and that's what happens in us when we pray this prayer. Richard Foster says that to pray is to change. Prayer is the central avenue God uses to transform us. If we are unwilling to change, we will abandon prayer as a noticeable characteristic of our lives. The closer we come to the heartbeat of God, the more we see our need and the more we desire to be conformed to Christ. Change is uncomfortable, and yet it's in this very change that I sense the love of God moving in my life drawing me close and making me new. I think that as we learn to grow into the kind of dependent life of prayer Jesus has for us, as we begin to more fully love what he loves and more fully trust him for all that we need, we are able to grow backwards into childlike trust, becoming more fully human, more fully free. And maybe then prayer becomes a bit more like intimate play with a loving Father who fully knows us, who, regardless of circumstances, has a firm grip on our hand.